Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the gift of this day. For we have received Thy Son, Jesus Christ, in His Word and in His Holy Sacrament. May His presence fill our hearts and our lives. And may His goodness and truth overflow from our lips into the hearts and lives of others. Bless us as we study Thy Holy Word this day. As Jesus opened the Word to His disciples on the road to Emmaus, May the risen Jesus be with us now to open the word to us. And may our hearts, like them, burn within us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome and good afternoon to to all of you. We have a... uh, um, He's not a guest because he's in his own church, but we are delighted to be able to say that uh, Bishop Charlie Masters, diocesan bishop of the Anglican Network in Canada, our diocese, is here. So welcome home, Bishop Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, It's a joy to have you here. And Bishop Charlie is, actually serves on the committee that has produced this particular study. Yes. And uh, so uh, uh, Bishop Charlie... Uh, when a clergy person does something good, he'll say, oh, well done, well done. Well, after I read this, I, I sent him an email, well done, Bishop, well done. Uh, I'd like to um, begin uh, a little bit by uh, talking about the relationship again between salvation in Jesus Christ and holy baptism. Unfortunately, there have been in church history those who have so greatly emphasized baptism in its relationship to salvation that they lost any sense of the grace of God bestowed in baptism being received by faith and then lived out in faithfulness. And, of course, in history, then there's also those who, in knee-jerk reaction against that, have rejected the relationship between salvation and baptism and misunderstood baptism to be a work of man rather than a gift from God. Come in. And so as I've said, the argument over uh, what is necessary, is it uh, baptism, is it faith, is like arguing over uh, which side of a quarter is worth 25 cents or a loony. In Canada, yeah, yeah. It being a dollar, up there, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, and you know, absolutely, it's the Holy Spirit who's at work in the heart prior to baptism. If it, we're talking an adult here, who's drawing their hearts to Christ, and then there's the the sealing the deal, uh, which comes in holy baptism, and we're marked as Christ's own. Regards those who have gone to emphasize faith in knee-jerk reaction against those who overemphasize baptism, they have relegated baptism to something merely symbolic and um, a public witness of what God has already done. 
what God has already done. And it's almost like confusing uh, uh, falling in love and being engaged with the marriage day, right? Um, and uh, there is something about that day, even though you may truly believe that the Holy Spirit is, I'll take with my wife Christine, when I was falling in love with her, um, I believed very much that it was the Holy Spirit at work in my heart, um, changing me, and the Holy Spirit working in her heart, changing her. And in many ways, we felt uh, uh, shortly before being married that we were one in Christ through the Spirit in a very special way. But we were not married yet, right? There's still something about the covenant, the marriage day, right? The wedding day, um, when that is, that is sealed. In the Acts of the Apostles, <clears throat> chapter 8, we see Philip the deacon goes down to Samaria and he preaches the good news of Jesus. And we know that those who received his word were then baptized. So when he was preaching the good news of Jesus, whatever exactly he said, and it's not recorded, it had a lot to do with baptism because suddenly these people who probably had not heard of Christian baptism were all clamoring to be baptized, right? Um, and then shortly thereafter, we see that the Lord uh, catches Philip up in the spirit and brings him to the eunuch, okay? Uh, and I want to read that. That's in the Acts of uh, the Apostles. Well, first, in, in, in the first sense, he goes to Samaria. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verse 12. But when they, those in Samaria, believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So he preaches the good news of Jesus and about the kingdom, and we know that it had to do with baptism as well because they wanted to be baptized. Then shortly after, it says in verse 29, it's still chapter 8, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard the eunuch in the chariot reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said, How can I unless someone guides me? And the eunuch invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage, and this is important, the passage of the scripture which he was reading was this. As a sheep led to the slaughter or a lamb before its shearer is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken up from the earth. So that's the passage. And Philip is now going to open those scriptures to the eunuch. And, uh, and this, of course, is the suffering, from the suffering servant passages in Isaiah, and they are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. 
and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, pray, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. Now, what did this include? Again, it must have included in Philip's preaching about Jesus and the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus, it must have included a great deal about baptism again. Because the very next verse, the eunuch says, oh, uh, 36, and as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And so obviously, once again, in Philip's preaching regarding Jesus, the gospel, the kingdom, is preaching regarding baptism. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so the question becomes, to whom was, Philip, uh, to whom, uh, was the eunuch witnessing? To Philip? If baptism is a mere public witness of what God has already done in the heart, then to whom is the eunuch witnessing? It wouldn't make sense that he's witnessing to Philip, the deacon, right? We see this again in chapter 22, verse 16, uh, when Saul, who later becomes Paul, uh, is, is baptized Uh, We all know the story. Paul's on his way to Damascus, right? Uh, He has an encounter with the risen Lord. Uh, A real important line, Saul had been persecuting the church, but yet Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Identifying himself with his bride, the church. And that whole imagery of the church as the bride is very important to holy baptism, right? Um, and uh, afterwards, he comes to Ananias, a Christian. And he said, Ananias says to Saul, to be Paul, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the just one, that is Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men and what you have seen and heard. Now, what's so important is this next verse. So many people say, well, when was Paul saved? Well, the whole thing was done on the road to Damascus when he had this encounter with the risen Lord. But that's not what the scriptures say. That's not what the word of God says. The very next line is so important because it says, Ananias says to Saul, and now why do you wait? In other words, this is important, okay? I love the, the uh, translation. Why are you tarrying? In other words, you shouldn't be delaying this. Why, are you, uh, uh, why do you wait, rise, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord? And again, 
if, if baptism were merely a public profession of what God had already done, this is Saul who had persecuted the church. Take him out into the streets of Jerusalem and have him be baptized so that everyone can see. But no, Ananias doesn't want him to tarry. He doesn't want him to wait. He wants him to be baptized right there in that moment. And to whom was Paul witnessing? Ananias? That wouldn't make any sense. Um, and of course, this all sounds so much like Acts 2, around 42. Which I'm going to get to. Why am I tarrying, you ask? Uh, of verse 37, now when they, those to whom the apostles were <clears throat> preaching the good news of Jesus, heard this, the good news, they were cut to the heart, that is to the very core of their being, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter didn't say nothing. He's already cut you to the heart. You've already, you already know within you He's already done it. No, that's not what he says. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then later in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, that is unto the church, about 3,000 souls. All had to be baptized. Now, if baptism is purely a symbolic act, void of grace, then why baptize all 3,000? You know, I'd say, let's have Joan and Mike and Susie come up, and they'll each represent 1,000. You know, we'll get home a lot earlier, the Patriots game is on, you know, you know that kind of thing. So now we continue our, our study The study teaches us that baptism is God's regenerative work. It's not the work of man. It's not the work of the church. It's the work of God. See, when I was dating Christine, because at that time she, she was a Baptist, she thought that baptism was a work of man, something that we did as a profession. And so that was confusing to her that it would have anything to do with salvation because salvation is what? A gift from God, right? And then I explained, ah, I get it. You think that this is man's work or the church's work. No, this is God's work. And it says here regenerative work. That is, it's the work of God that we may be born again. We talked about the different um, relational uh, images last week. Baptism, being born again by water and the Spirit. You're no longer your old self, but a new self in Jesus Christ. Uh, being the adopted child of God. There is only one Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are adopted into His relationship with the Father and the very love that the Father has had for, for, from all eternity for Jesus he has for each and every one of us who are baptized and have become his adopted 
uh, sons, theologically, uh, his children. And of course, the idea of being the bride joined to the groom, where they're no longer two, but one. Notice that these are all types of relationship, and it's all by God's work in an invitation and work. So baptism, it says, is God's regenerative work. God's at work that you may be born again. Because there's nothing that we've been conceived and born into in this world that will save us. We are only saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. By the grace of God. And so we must, we must be born again. So because we could not attain to God, God came to us in the person of Jesus. That being uh, uh, entering by baptism in the covenant with him, we might be part of a new creation in him. Here's the line of Father Bob. It says, baptism is God's regenerative work to be received by faith and faithfulness. That is, it must be lived out just like a marriage. You don't just say, look, I'm committed to you today, and therefore we are now one, and then that's it, that, that's good for the rest of the time. No, you must live out that commitment, right, in the marriage itself, right? And so it is with baptism, we receive it by faith, but then that must be lived out in faithfulness with the Lord. Did you want to say anything? You, you touched on this a bit yesterday. Do you want to? No, I think, I think you're good. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Why do you call me good? Yeah. Only, <laughs> There's only one. <laughs> only one who is good. The bishop. No. <laughs> but this is important, too, because remember, we don't want to think of baptism as, uh, well, once you're baptized, that's it. It's a, you're, you're, it's a done deal no matter what you do, right? And so this is important in the study. It says, for those who do not live in Christ, baptism does not guarantee final salvation. Remember Mark 16, 16? He who believes and is baptized is saved. But he who does not believe is condemned. Right? So it's not just, you know, a magical uh, ticket to ride being baptized. Right? It's connected, yes, to salvation, but to faith and faithfulness. We're being born again into something. Okay? You can't, well, you can, but you shouldn't. So I'm going to say you can't. You can't be married and then live like a bachelor. Right? You can't sign up for the Marines and then live like a civilian. Right? Uh, when Mike was in a submarine, he couldn't go uh, on top to get fresh air when it was underwater, right? That's not going to work. Right? So it is you cannot be in Christ and then live as though he did not die for you and rise for you, as if he did not give you the gift of faith as if you have not been baptized into his life, death, and resurrection, as if you do not have a whole new identity. 
What goes into that water dies. What comes out is Christ's. Paul says, I no longer live for myself. It is Christ Jesus who lives in me. So then they quote Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And then from 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 5, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, what an incredible type of foreshadowing to be fulfilled we have in the Red Sea, where Pharaoh represents the, the false dominion of the enemy of Satan. And he holds us, as he held uh, God's people, uh, in bondage and slavery. And then God, through no act of the people, but through the mighty acts of God, delivers them from Pharaoh and his dominion. He sets them free from bondage and slavery. And there's also a type of foreshadowing in the Passover of our deliverance from death. And then what do they do? They go through the Red Sea, through the waters. A foreshadowing, a type of the baptism to come in Jesus Christ that delivers us from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of the Son of God's love, as it says in Colossians, is it chapter 1? Okay, chapter 1. It's good to have the bishop here, you know. <laughs> Colossians 1. We have been delivered from one kingdom and transferred into another. And so they came through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, which represents our journey in this life. And of course, it's while they're walking in the wilderness that he's forming them as a people. And he gives them his word and the commandments. And then he feeds them with the heavenly bread, the heavenly manna. Do you see the analogy here? We have been delivered from Satan and from his dominion, the kingdom of darkness. We have been delivered and transferred into the kingdom of the Son of God's love by passing through the sacrament of baptism, our Red Sea, that we may begin our journey in this life in the wilderness, being formed as God's people, receiving his word, being nourished with his sacrament, that we may finally come to the Jordan and cross over. And remember, it wasn't Moses that crossed them over. It was whom? Joshua. And Joshua, Ishua, is Hebrew for, what's the Greek word? Jesus. Jesus. And so it's Jesus the whole time. Father Bob. Yes. And I think that... Right. And that's exactly what the, they're trying to uh, get us to understand is you can be baptized, 
But if you do not walk with Christ, it is no guarantee in the end of your salvation. Um, Children in the ancient church, we know that they were baptized. But they were to grow up within the, the life of the church, within the community of the church, always understanding a little bit more fully who they are in Christ Jesus. They would never know uh, a separation from who they are in baptism um, through faith, right? And the same thing with an adult. If you had faith, you were to be baptized, right? But then you had to walk in that. You receive it by faith, you walk by faithfulness, and it's all a gift from God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Another reminder, um, Simon Magus, who um, was when Philip went to Samaria, uh, he was baptized and walked for a time uh, with the Lord, um, but then fell away. And so we're reminded in uh, Acts of the Apostles 8.21 that he had neither part nor lot in this matter. Point 14, without faith in Christ, baptism remains an unclaimed promise. Now, I'm going to tell you, you cannot, you cannot make theology out of experience, but experience can sometimes uh, illumine your theology, help you to understand. I have met some children. I mean, I have met some people who were baptized as children, but were not baptized in the sense that we would hope with parents who were believers and were, they weren't brought up in, in, in the faith of the church. Um, and yet, um, they would testify later that there was still something within them that seemed to be at work. Okay? And I believe that's the seed of God's grace in baptism. But I, I've often used different words. I would say it's, it's, it's the fire of the Spirit is left dormant un, until, and I used the example last week of uh, being up in Maine and you have a fire and you fall asleep, you wake up, it looks like the fire's out. But if you take the bellow and a couple of times, it can roar right back up. And so it is, I think, with some who were baptized uh, as adults apart from faith, sadly, shouldn't be done, but it, it has been done. Never hear a bishop. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but think of the bellow as the Holy Spirit. So there is a seed, there's something within them. Um, but when, when God moves in their heart, if they open their heart to his movement, uh, that seed can bear forth fruit uh, with, within them. Um, but that's where the mystery has to end. We can't just go out and baptize everyone hoping that seed is going to bear. It is meant to be accompanied by faith. Like I said, two sides of one coin. Yes, Mark. Yes. Yes. 
when you're an infant, if, if, if you are the ch child of believing parents, you are covered by the faith of the covenant, the family, yeah, and, the, and the church, and the church. You really are supposed to be brought up in the life of the church. The parents, the godparents, but all of us. That's why we all take vows, make promises at a baptism. That's why unless someone really has like a anxiety disorder being around people, I won't do a private baptism. Um, there are churches that do this, you know, we'll, we'll have a service or a mass at 10, and people who want to be baptized show up with godparents at, at 1 o'clock, and we'll meet you by the font. We don't do that, right? Um, uh, the child is supposed to be brought up in, in the covenant. And, and the church family. Yes, yes. Because um, remember, the faith isn't an individual thing. It's a personal thing. But it's a gift from God that you receive personally within your heart. But it's the faith of um, the, the family of God that you're receiving. Um, individual faith is where you, people start talking about me and Jesus. My Jesus would do this. My Jesus wouldn't do that. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Right. Well, well, yeah, not if they're being brought up in the, in the life of the church. No, it's not laying dormant. Not. Yeah. Yeah, it seems clear in the scripture, we covered this a little bit last week, it seems clear in the scripture from, well firstly, the sign of the old covenant was circumcision, which was given at the age of eight days old. And um, we're told by Paul that baptism is the, is the circumcision of Christ, okay? Um, so it would have been very, it would have been their understanding that the sign of the covenant is, is for children as well. But then we also know that whole families, whole households would be baptized, and this would include children. And then Peter says, this promise, he's using covenant language when he's talking about baptism, and he says, this promise is for you and for your children, and as many as are far off, yeah. you know, those that are out there, like in Marlborough. Yeah. Yes. God never revokes his promise. I love that. <clears throat> so it can remain an unclaimed promise if a person is baptized apart from the faith of the community as a child or um, if they were baptized as an adult and didn't really, um, weren't really wanting to give their life to Christ. It, re it remains an unclaimed promise. Um, however, it says God never revokes his promise, but unbelief causes people to withdraw from the benefits of the promise, of the promise. Uh, this is something we discussed. It was a great discussion yesterday with the clergy and wives, with the bishop, and we discussed this. And 
um, that, you know, God's promises are, are forever, right? Um, but, you know, we can still reject them. But for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation or judgment. Um, I would say in rare... I would say the scriptures say um, that the, in rare cases, um, there are some scriptures that would say that a person has grown so cold uh, to it that they've rejected that gift. Um, but um, um, I remember talking to Christine's Baptist pastor, and he said, do you believe in eternal security? And I, I said, uh, no, not as you do, but I don't believe in, in, uh, in insecurity either. <laughs> right, you, you, you know, um, we're talking full-blown apostasy here, <laughs> you, you know, and growing cold um, over a long period of time. Um, they are like Esau, who despised the birthright that was promised to him in Genesis twenty-five thirty-four, and branches that were grafted in but later broken off, Romans eleven seventeen to twenty-four. Right, and uh, of course Esau, you know, says God hated him, and that it's a tough translation for people. But what's going on there is that he was given this gift, and he just he he didn't just reject it; he despised it. Do you know what he traded it for? A bowl of soup, probably tomato, because he says it, he calls it red stuff. So you know, I'm thinking it's a tomato soup, maybe a little basil. I don't know, but. I hope it was good because he gave away his birthright for it. Right. All right, we're going to keep going because this is our last one on, on baptism. Uh, point 15, the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. And, quote, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12.13. This is the baptism... In the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, this is the baptism in the Holy Spirit when the Spirit first joins a person to the body of Christ. When the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his household, Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately, um, those in the household of Cornelius were baptized immediately. So, um, very important. Um, you know, I think, and in, in, you know, this is where the bishop may interject, but I think there's a lot of argument over when the Holy Spirit is given to a person. And, um, you know, is it at the moment when your heart begins to turn towards the Lord? Is it in the moment when you profess Jesus from the heart with your lips? Is it in the moment when you are baptized? You know, is it confirmation? Although I would argue that there is a, a, a particular apostolic gift of the Spirit that we see clearly in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, but that's an, a topic for another time. Um, and, you know, there's all these arguments over, you know, some denominations talk about seven different baptisms. Well, what's the Bible say? How many baptisms are there? One. We professed it today in the creed. One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Right? Um, it, well, just, well, just let me just finish that thought and then 
I'm going to say that there's all this fighting over when is the Holy Spirit given. And I'm going to say that the answer is yes. Right? It's always the Holy Spirit at work bringing you to, uh, to, in, in, to turn to Christ from darkness to light, from the lie to the truth, from the world to the word. Right? It's the Holy Spirit who baptizes you. Uh, it's, it's the Holy Spirit, um, uh, which is why we're here today and those who are viewing. Um, so I believe there's particular uh, um, manifestations of the Spirit, but it's all the, you know, our entire life, Christian life, is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Sounds like an advertisement, right? Uh, brought to you today. <laughs> Today's life in Jesus is brought to you by the Holy Spirit. Um, but apart from the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is not the Word of God. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the waters of baptism are ordinary waters. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the bread and wine that we receive in Holy Communion is ordinary bread and wine, and we're told clearly from the Scriptures in the earliest of the Church Fathers that that is no ordinary bread and wine, but a partaking a communion, a fellowship, all different translations of the word koinonia with the body and blood of Jesus. Apart from uh, the Holy Spirit, um, one could not be ordained. What's the words of the bishop? Receive the Holy Spirit, right? So it's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is present at baptism. Joan, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I think there's different manifestations. I think when the Spirit comes, He comes. Um, I think people might have different, um, they might feel it differently. Um, uh, and for some people, it might be something that they acknowledge in their, more emotionally, and with other people's not, but they're, they're just as... You know, have you ever gone to a wedding, and let's say thanks be to God, both love each other and they're being called. Um, but uh, one is a, a rather uh, to-himself man uh, and, uh, you know, focused and so forth. And you go and, you know, he, uh, you know, being who he is. And then the bride is just crying. Actually, at our wedding, it was the opposite. Christine was like, yeah, I'll take him. You know, thank you. you know. Um, uh, but... They're both married, right? One had a more of emotional response, but they both received the, the grace of the Holy Spirit to make them one. So I, I would say that the, you're filled, you're filled. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yes. It matters significantly, and yes, I did. Um, so it's, it's okay. It was just on the one, probably the week you weren't able to be here. So um, I, I did, and it's significant. So, but it's all, if you go on our website under video, it's all there. Um, and um, uh, yeah, because there's, there's, a big, there's a big difference between that. Um, and one thing I really don't like in uh, our new liturgies 
is that it says, you know, it's talking about how God has used water uh, throughout uh, salvation history. And it says, and in it, meaning water, Jesus received the baptism of John. And, and I'm always like, no, no Jesus uh, initiated Christian baptism. Yeah, um, he didn't receive the baptism of John. But what's interesting is there are Christian denominations whose theology of Christian baptism is really the theology of John's baptism. It's a, you know, a symbolic turning around, you know, a witness of, for John, what's going to come, for them, what has just happened within them. But their theology is very much that of John's baptism. And the Bible's clear that, no, these are different. These are different. New life in, in Christ. By the way, we won't, this is the last teaching on baptism. We won't make it through all of them. So I encourage you to look over the others. There's so many biblical references. Take out your Bible. Sit down with the few that are left and, and look at them uh, and read the Word of God. Baptism is immersion, the literal meaning of baptism, right? What goes into that water is dead. What comes out is a new creation. Your identity is radically changed. It's kind of like what you were all hoping when I came uh, 13, uh, and, uh, 13 years ago. You were hoping that as I was immersed or baptized into Bo the Boston area, that I would have a complete change of identity from being a Yankees fan to a Red Sox fan, right? You were hoping that what goes into Boston w would die and come out something new. Uh, it hasn't happened, uh, but anyway, um, you, 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 keep, you keep praying, you keep praying. Um, by the way, um, Emily got me for, for Christmas, it's beautiful, it's um, a Yankees shirt, and it has, going down the sleeves, um, all the years that the Yankees won the World Series, isn't that nice? I got her one too, a Red Sox one, it's a tank top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> New life in Christ. Baptism is immersion, literally uh, meaning to be immersed into Jesus. A whole new identity. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me, Paul says. Um, it's into a life of catechesis, instruction in the faith. How many people aren't here, even though I, this is only the second time ever in 13 years where I asked uh, by a spiritual authority that God has given me here to, for people to, to come. I, I want you to set these dates aside, and I want you to come, and I want the church pretty filled, right? Well, you see that it didn't happen. It's only the second time I've ever done that. Um, but... Um, uh, the idea is that it's catechesis. It's not, well, I was confirmed, so it's over, right? I've graduated. We begin, um, discipleship is growing in one's faith through catechism, through teaching of God's word, of God's word, knowing it more and more and more. And you know one thing I, I love is that we, when it comes to God's word or the faith uh, well, the biblical faith of, of the church is that when I hear it, even if I don't get something new out of it, 
I, I still am excited to hear the faith or the word of God articulated because I believe there's power in it, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, right? It's kind of like sticking your, uh, a fork into a socket. The first time it's going to give you an incredible shock. It's going to give you that same incredible shock the second time too, right? It's not going to be like, well, I experienced that once, so, you know, I can do it all the time now, no big deal, right? That's not how it works, right? Um, and so the, the Word of God is living and true and charged and charged. I know Mike likes um, this, this story, is that um, I, was brought up in an, um, I was brought up in a Roman Catholic home, but um, unusual in that my mom and dad did read the Bible with me quite a bit. And I say that's unusual because Bible studies, generically speaking, generally speaking, and I hope I'm not offending to anyone watching, um, you know, aren't as prevalent um, and, uh, in, in the Roman church. But I grew up reading the Bible every day with my parents. And it was important to know who Jesus was and, and what was right and what was wrong uh, according to God's commandment and what God had done and uh, in, in the world and so forth uh, through salvation history. And, but when I got older and I went to, to uh, a, a, a ecumenical seminary, my second seminary, um, I, I met these strange um, people called evangelicals. Very odd group. And, uh, uh, and I realized that they believed what I believed about the Bible, but they believed something more. They believed that there was a, a grace in God's Word. There was a power in God's Word. That, um, that there was something assuredly given when one opened their heart to the Word of God. And then one day it dawned on me that although they wouldn't use this terminology... They had a sacramental view of the Bible, right? He, the, the words are God's outward invisible sign of his word being placed on our heart, the inward and spiritual grace. There was a grace present. There was a power, one that could set people free, help them in times of temptation, lead them, lead them to forgiveness, deliver them from... Um, uh, uh, bondages of any kind. So there, there, was a, um, uh, there was a sacramental reality. And then that really helped me mature in my understanding of, of, holy, of Holy Scripture, of Holy Scripture, um, and how God works through the Holy Scripture. Well, baptism, baptism forgives sin through faith in Jesus Christ. It is also a call to repeated repentance and conversion. Right? <coughs> you know, um, if, if, uh, I, I tell Christine and the girls, you know, I love them every day. But if, if I didn't, and Sarah came to me and said, Dad, I'd like you to tell me sometimes that you love me. And I say, well, Sarah, you don't really remember it. But when you were first born, I said, I love you. And that's it. That's all you're getting. No, right? So it's the same with Christ. It needs to be new 
every day. So it's both a moment and a working out. It's like the wedding day and the marriage. Does that make sense to everyone? It begins a life of costly discipleship. Does that remind you of anyone? It does indeed. Living as the faithful spouse of Christ, Ephesians 5, 31, 32. Now, I'm in a covenant with Christine. I'm not free to do what I want. I'm actually not free to do anything. But anyway, no, I'm not free to do what I, what I want. So I can't be part of the body of Christ in union with Christ the groom and then just do what I want or decide what I want to believe or what part of God's word is applicable to me. As I've said before, one of my favorite <coughs> quotes, the word of God is not a Chinese buffet as awesome as Chinese buffets are, right? You don't get to pick and choose. Discipleship is costly. And remember that those who were baptized in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, it says that they continued in the apostles' teaching. So not, well, what do I believe about Jesus? <clears throat> but the faith that God has revealed through his son and his church, that is what I receive personally in my heart. I don't have an individual relationship with Christ. I have a personal relationship, but I'm part of a family. And so I receive what God has revealed to the family through his word into my heart personally. So it's not my doctrine, it's what God has revealed. It's the apostles' doctrine. And fellowship, to be joined to a family that began with the apostles of Christ. The breaking of bread. That is, if one is baptized into Christ, then that new life in him must be nourished um, and, you know, the fact is, my, my friends, when you, you can uh, argue all you want uh, about the pre real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, that's what it comes down to. The scriptures in the early church fathers are perfectly clear. Jesus is present in a special way. And he nourishes us with the gift of his own life. The Father spoke with one mind on this. Right? When the, some of the disciples couldn't accept Jesus' teaching on it, and they said, uh, we, we can't accept this, we're going to walk away, he doesn't say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe you're taking me a bit too literally here. No, he sadly lets them walk away, though he was greatly saddened by it. Right? Now, how he's present, all these philosophical theories, you, you know, they're all fun right? for, for some of us, right? to de deal with and argue over, is it, you know, this or that, right? But this is what the scriptures say. The bread that we break, and where do we break it? On the holy table, the altar. The bread that we break, is it not a, and the word is koinonia, which is, comes from the same root as when a man and woman come together, um, come together in... Um, Sexual union. 
special way <laughs> called Eskimo kissing. Okay. All right. Um, uh, where they're no longer two, but they're one. A bride and a groom can know any, cannot know any greater physical intimacy. They're, they're spiritually one in, in, in marriage, and that is nurtured, realized, lived out, expressed, articulated, uh, nourished by the physical act. By the physical act. And so it is here that we who are baptized, we are spiritually joined with Christ. Now that must be lived out and realized and nurtured and nourished and strengthened. And it, and it comes through the word of God and by participating in the sacrament of his body and blood. So the bread that we break, is it not a koinonia, a most intimate fellowship, a communion, a participation in the body of Christ? The cup that we bless, again, where do we bless it? On the holy table. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? That's the word of God. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. You know what I love about those passages in John 6? Some theologians argue over uh, whether Jesus is speaking here of the sacrament that he's to institute or whether he's speaking here about his word. And, and I think, yeah, I keep arguing, because you know what? It's, it's both in John 6. It's both. What I love about Anglican is we are, we are not just, you know, yeah, yeah, the word, you know, but this, the sacrament. And we're not do away with the sacrament, the word. And we're not word, then sacrament. We are word and sacrament. Word and sacrament. So the breaking of the bread... And the prayers. In the Greek, it's actually the prayers. These are liturgical prayers. The prayers of the, of the church. My dear friends, I wish we had one more week on baptism. But I'm trying to keep the, it to a 12-week course. Um, but if you look this up, uh, we ended on... Um, uh, we're starting on point 17 under baptism. Point 17. Oh boy, there's some good stuff too. Anyone have a flight to catch? Oh yeah, you do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, questions and, and maybe the bishop would be willing to entertain a couple of questions uh, as, as well. As well. I, I see that a bride and groom are leaving after my little talk about the intimacy. So wow, good for you guys. All right. <laughs> God bless you. I'm kidding. Well, um, I, I think part of the, the thing is that I'm a little embarrassed in that I came in, I, I actually harvested what I didn't sow, in the sense that uh, a fellow Bishop Wynne Mott was the representative to the Anakin Church on behalf of the Anakin Church in North America, along with us, a group. But he was the chair. When he stepped down in retirement, um, I was inserted. By then, including baptism, had already been completely covered. It was only the, the fourth one, which is on the Word of God. So I can't really uh, uh, say a whole lot other than uh, I, I think we experienced an incredible measure of, of unity. Uh, and 
the excitement about the, these affirmations. We didn't want to call them uh, other words which suggest that we're going to argue about them forever. They're meant to be something that facilitates good teaching and discussion. But at the end of the day, it's towards discipleship. And that's what the hope is in terms of our working together, is that there will be a growing calling our people to disciples. So I think the force of what Archdeacon Michael has been doing uh, today in, in baptism has been absolutely right on what we were hoping for. Others? All right, well, terrific. Uh, Bishop, thank you for being here. All of you, thank, thank you. you for being here. Uh, thank you also for putting up. I'm under the weather. Thank you for putting up with me. I hope I spoke clearly today. Um, and uh, so, uh, God's peace. Well done.